0: He explained that a few young men had gone missing over the past year, each after being at one specific dive bar.
1: I could kill you right now if I wanted to. No one would ever find you. Thinking how my
2: mom, or my sister, or me, or all of us could have been his victims, that sends chills up my spine.
3: Headphones recommended. Listener discretion advised. Welcome back in, everyone. I'm your host, Chad. You're just moments away from true tales of terror that will leave you breathless. So brace yourself. This is Disturbed. We're back at it again. But before we get to the horror, I want to make sure you guys are able to join in on the conversation in our Facebook group. I'd love to make this a community where you guys can join myself and other listeners in discussions on your favorite episodes, stories, and everything relating to the show. So go join our group and drop a line letting us know your favorite story and how you discovered the podcast. You can visit disturbedpodcast.com discuss and that will redirect you to our open Facebook group. And with that out of the way, let's get into it. In our first experience brought to us by Reddit user CJNTTW, we discover why you should be careful when looking for pen pals. Performing this experience is Nicole Doolin.
1: This happened years ago when I had got my first actual job. Not just babysitting or working at a family friend's restaurant and just keeping my tips. I didn't think much of it. I figured it was harmless. I could find people outside the country to chat with. Learn about some other cultures. You know, all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't give out personal information about myself. No phone number, address, any of that. I wasn't stupid. I made a simple profile stated what kind of friends I was interested in making, just basic stuff. After about a month, I received a message from a man. I don't remember it word for word, but it basically said, Hi, I found your profile, and I'm super interested in being friends. He then stated he lives in the same state as me. Though I know maybe it was rude to be snobby about someone in my state contacting me, I did politely say on my profile that I was trying to make some pen pals outside of the U.S., I responded politely, though, and I replied to a few of his messages for a while. I found out he lived in the same city as me. I see you like anime. I love anime. (laughs) I also see you've been to Japan. I have been to Japan, too. Do you go to anime conventions? Maybe we could go together to the next convention that comes to town. I felt a little uncomfortable. I put right on my page I have no intention to meet up with anyone. Just have an online pen pal. I politely told him that and he didn't like it. I just thought we could be friends since we have similar interests. I again politely told him I'm not interested in meeting anyone in person from the website. He pretended to be fine with it and went right back to rambling about his interests. I logged out of the website for a few days and just focused on my personal life. Going to work and doing schoolwork and taking care of my disabled father. One day, I woke up to notifications on multiple of my instant messenger apps, all stating basically the same thing Hey, it's Blank from the PenPal website. He messaged me on like four of my chat apps, which I did not give him. How did he find it? I was really annoyed. As politely as I could, I messaged him on the penpal website. Hey, so I don't know how you found my IDs for my chat apps, but that was kind of over the line. That wasn't really appropriate. Not one app, but you messaged me on like four. I'm sorry, but I really wanted to talk to you and you haven't been on the website for a few days. That doesn't make it okay. I also have a personal life. And a job? And family? I cannot spend all my time on here. That's why I messaged you on those apps. I don't have them listed on my profile. How did you even find them? He avoided the subject. I'm sorry that I did that. I'm just trying to be your friend. I just want to be friends with you. This isn't the way to do it. I'm very uncomfortable that you somehow found that information that I didn't give to you. I don't think we should talk anymore. I don't want to be friends with you, I'm sorry. Please do not contact me again. I immediately blocked him on all of those apps and on the PenPal website. For a few months, everything was fine. Suddenly I got a message on one of the apps, and the user wasn't in my friends list. The message was basically as follows. You stupid fat... Ugly bitch. No one will ever love you. You'll never find a man to love you. You're so fucking fat and ugly. Why don't you just kill yourself, bitch? Do the world a favor. I rolled my eyes and blocked the account. Throughout the course of a year, every few months, across my multiple social media platforms, I was being harassed. I had completely forgotten about the man until I received a message on the PenPal website. The account didn't have a name or photos. It was a random username. The message I received was the same nonsense as before. Calling me fat and ugly. Saying I'm a bitch. Telling me I should die. Once I got the message on that website, I knew it had to be him. I'd had no other issues with anyone. I replied saying that guy's name. Telling him I know it was him. And that his behavior is really sad and pathetic. I just wanted to be your friend. You fucking bitch. Watch your back. Then the account blocked me. For a few more months, nothing really happened. I got one or two messages from fake accounts again. But I had grown used to it and just immediately blocked them. Then one day I received a Facebook message from a police officer. He was contacting me about a profile I apparently made on a website called Ashley Madison. It is used for people to have affairs, hookups, etc., I had never heard of it before then and absolutely did not have an account there. I had a long talk with him, where he told me his department investigates human trafficking and thought I was an underage girl, possibly in danger. It had my personal Facebook account listed on the profile, as well as other ways to contact me. I was in shock. He advised me to contact the website and ask them to take down the profile, but said to me, You seem like a sweet girl. I don't know who you pissed off, but don't read the profile. My curiosity got the better of me, but I should have taken his advice. Using some of my normal selfies, an account was made, and the profile stated a lot of horrible things. Very derogatory. It made me sick to my stomach to read some of the things it said I apparently wanted to have done to me. Thankfully, the website took quick action to take down the profile. The next time I got one of those hate messages online, I snapped. I didn't hold back, cursing him out for being so immature and disgusting because someone simply didn't want to be his friend. The account blocked me without answering. I didn't get a message from any accounts for a while. One day when I was the closer at work, I was waiting outside for a family member to pick me up. I didn't have my own vehicle and my family would give me rides to and from work. As I was listening to music, waving goodbye to my manager as they drove off, I got a notification on one of my apps. You ugly bitch. (sighs) I sighed, rolling my eyes as I opened the message. As I was typing, another message came in that made me stop typing and freeze up. You're all alone now. I could kill you right now if I wanted to. No one would ever find you. I backed up against the building. I didn't have keys. Only the manager did who just left. I looked around through the parking lot. Not a car in sight. The streetlights shined dimly around me. My heart started to race as more messages came in. You're so fucking ugly, you know that? No one would ever fall in love with you. Your family probably won't even miss you. You disgusting bitch. I should just kill you right now. I started to cry, the phone shaking in my hands. Just as another text came in, a car pulled up in front of me. It was my family member coming to pick me up. I took a deep breath and quickly got into the car. Sorry I'm late, I got stuck at two red lights. Your manager already left? They just left you alone out here? Just drive! I accidentally screamed at them, tears streaming down my face. What's wrong? Did something happen at work? I was crying, shaking. They took my phone and looked at it, seeing the messages. What the fuck? Who the hell is this texting you? I don't know who it is. Please just drive. I want to get out of here. We went back to their place and they wanted to call the police, but I told them not to. I had no idea who they were, where to find them to make a police report against them. Instead, they called another family member who works in the IT field. After they heard the whole story, everything I've endured for almost two years, they told me I should have made new accounts from the beginning of this harassment. I listened to them, and right then and there, I made new accounts on all my social media. I worked at that job for another month, but my family member had told my manager what happened so I was never put on closing shifts again. I was only given morning shifts, where I clicked out of work when the sun was still out. But I still didn't feel safe. They knew where I worked. My manager understood when I quit. All the harassment stopped. To this day, I still haven't received any more of those messages. Now I'm married. I still live in the city, and I don't live in that neighborhood anymore. I feel comfortable, and I don't feel afraid that this person will find me and stalk me again. But, even now, any time I get a random message from someone who isn't in my friends list, my heart races for a second.
3: Special thanks to all of our newest Patreon members. Amanda Red, Devin N Samantha Taylor Kathy Sanchez Miranda June Sherry Mitchell, Laura, Scott McCollin, Deanna Torres, Pam, and Miranda May. I'm telling you guys, the support from all of you directly contributes to a higher quality show, and anyone can contribute. So become part of the podcast, unlock bonus episodes, add free listening, and much more. Just head over to disturbedpodcast.com support to get your exclusive access and bonus material today. Next up, our title story, coming from Reddit user VeggieManiac. Performing this experience is Matt Bradford.
0: Here is a story I've never told anyone, partly because elements of the story are not just appropriate in most social situations. As a result, I've locked this away in my memory and I rarely think about it. Fair warning, this story does involve some sketchy sexual situations, but does not describe any actual sexual acts. And as another disclaimer, I am completely aware that this story involves me being very stupid and careless. I'm not going to inject these acknowledgments into the story, but rest assured that in hindsight, I'm aware that the foolishness that took place, and I don't need to be chided on that topic. Now, Where to begin? The year was approximately 1998-1999. I was a young gay man in my early 20s, living in a medium-sized city in the Midwestern US. This was sort of an in-between transitional time for gay people, where in most populous areas we had enough respect to live openly, but there were still plenty of people who did not like us. It was well before the invention of smartphones, and the internet was still in the early stages of mass adoption. There were large communities online, but it was not yet at the point where most Americans were online. Online socialization consisted of chat rooms hosted by various services like AOL, Yahoo, or IRC servers, and message boards were still in use by large numbers of people. Now, for gay men at that time, it was nothing short of revolutionary. You see, prior to the internet and to the broader cultural changes, Gay men had been stuck looking for fun in secretive and or shady places due to the inability to freely express ourselves. In the 90s, it was still somewhat risky, but the internet offered a way to talk freely and relatively anonymously without the risk of being outed or worse. For this reason, it really took off in the gay communities, and gay men were a very large part of the user bases for these social platforms. It was suddenly very easy and relatively safe to find dates, friends, or just sex, and it quickly became the norm for a lot of gay men. On the other hand, being such a new communication tool for most people, we were sometimes blind to the risks. Being an attractive young man in my prime, I made liberal use of online communities to find dates. That is to say, I had plenty of hookups. My city had a decent number of chat rooms and personal message boards, and I had mostly great experiences. I met the typical assortment of good guys, closet cases and weirdos that you might expect. I wasn't an absolute hoe by most standards, but suffice to say that a cute guy at that time could generally have a lot more dates than your typical straight person. (laughs) At some point during this time, I'd had some brief chat on a message board with a guy from my city. I forgot his screen name, it's been over 20 years, so let's call him Slim Guy 65. This back and forth had happened on a general thread in the gay section, not in private messages, so it was visible to anyone who chose to read that thread. Nothing had come of it, but about a week later I received an email from an unrecognized address. The email basically said, Hey, I'm not gay, and I don't agree with the gay lifestyle. I'm here because my friend met this slim guy 65 person from the message board, and the guy really hurt him. I don't want this to happen to anyone else. My friend tried to tell the police, but they wouldn't do anything. I see you were talking to slim guy 65, so just be careful and stay away from him. Okay, that's strange. What does this person mean by really hurt him? Was his heart broken? Did he get beaten up or verbally abused or what? I responded to the email asking for clarification on what exactly happened. I never received a response. I was slightly weirded out by it, but on the other hand, it's an anonymous email from someone who doesn't respond and is vague about their warning. This could be anything. It could be some disgruntled ex trying to mess with this guy. It could be a real warning about someone gay bashing. It could be someone trolling who doesn't have anything to do with anyone. I kept it in the back of my mind, but pretty much shrugged it off. Several weeks later, I had a weekday off and decided to take to the internet, as was my custom. Lo and behold, I had an email response to a personal ad. It was Slim Guy 65 He was offering to meet at his place to hang out and just have a good time. Wink wink, nudge nudge. I won't go into details. And as I recall, there weren't really many details discussed other than the small talk and intros we'd done previously. Nothing about this guy was really sounding interesting to me. I had no other offers on this day, so I decided, why not? I'll go see what this dude is about. As I typed my reply, I suddenly remembered the strange email I'd received warning about this person. I went back and reread it. Still vague still presenting more questions and no answers. Should I take this anonymous warning at face value and just ignore SG65? I decided to go check him out anyway. His address was on a rather busy street in the middle of a dense residential area, not some shack out in the woods. And I can handle myself. If he's weird, I can just fuck out of there. Before long, I arrived at the house at the agreed time. It was a duplex-style house, with one apartment on the ground floor and one on the second floor, part of a row of several identical duplexes. It was the middle of the afternoon. There was plenty of traffic on the street and the occasional person out on their porch or in their backyard. I pulled up the driveway to the parking area behind the house, got out, and knocked on the door. The guy that answered was a pretty normal, kind of mousy-looking man, probably in his 40s slight slim build soft-spoken looked like any guy working in an office cubicle somewhere not really my type but honestly my curiosity was piqued and i had nothing better to do so i stepped in to take a look around and gauge the situation with the warning email fresh in my mind i stepped into the back door into the kitchen it was very clean and there was nothing out on the counters, and no tables and chairs or anything. That is to say, it did not look like someone was living there. It had been kept up and cleaned, but looked empty. Looking out into the apartment, I could see that it was not set up as a living space. A large window with sliding glass was between the kitchen and living room, and I could see what looked like a large table out in the living room area. SG65 said something like, this isn't where I live. A friend of mine used to run a doctor's office here. I maintain the building for him. It's private, though. We have the place to ourselves. Weird. Okay. He shut the back door and locked it. With a keyed deadbolt. The kind that you need a key to open, even from the inside. And put his keys back into his pocket, saying, So, what do you want to do? At this point, my danger sense spiked. This is not a normal home, and why is he locking the door like that? It's not necessarily suspect, and a lot of people have that sort of lock on their door, and the door has a window so it even makes sense. Still, something is not right here, I can tell, and now I'm locked in. I asked him why he was locking the door like that, which immediately flustered him. He was looking rather nervous, and his voice was a little wavery and halting. Not quite stuttering, but almost. He said, ''Well, um, we don't want someone to come in and interrupt us, right?'' Flashing a weak, unconvincing smile. His demeanor and body language were all I needed to confirm that this guy was up to no good, or at least that there was something he was hiding. However, I could tell that I was intimidating him. I was not a particularly muscular kid, but I had a larger frame. Like, even when I'm at my very thinnest, I still wear size L tops and 36 waist pants, so I look big, which people tend to interpret as me being stronger than I really am. Also, I'm not a tough guy at all, but I have a resting facial expression that makes me look like a badass thug. People who don't know me often assume that I'm rough or something. I sometimes use this to my advantage while I can because before long a new acquaintance will eventually figure out that I'm a total wimp. (laughs) But this was definitely an occasion to play up the tough guy appearance, and I did exactly that. I put on my best steely face and told him to unlock the door, and that I don't want to be locked in here. He looked for a moment like he was going to pee his pants, then he said, okay, I'll, I'll unlock this. He unlocked the deadbolt, and I'll just lock the knob here and he turned the little dial that locks the doorknob. That was fine with me. I continued to stare at him until he said, "'I'll leave the keys on the counter right here,' and he set up his keys down near the sink. I was relatively satisfied with that answer. At this point, though, my adrenaline was flowing. I was almost in full fight or flight mode, but I was kind of stuck in place. The guy was between me and the door. I was freaked out. This little weasel did not appear to pose any immediate physical threat to me. I could tell that his pant pockets were empty and that I was intimidating the living hell out of him. I didn't know yet exactly what to do. Now keep in mind that despite my wordy descriptions, this all happened very quickly, without any really long pauses. It had only been maybe one or two minutes since I'd stepped in the door. This all happened at the pace of a conversation. The guy was obviously nervous and trying not to appear so. He said, Well, let's go in, and walked in a wide path around me through the kitchen into what would normally be the living room, and toward the hall to the right from there. I was familiar with this floor layout, and was very common in this area. The hallway would lead to two small bedrooms with a bathroom in between them. I hesitated, thinking I should just walk out that back door and take off, but... Really? Now I was super curious. There's no way in hell I'm doing anything with this guy, but I kinda wanna see what's going on in here. Also, I'm confident that he can't take me if it comes to a fight, so I slowly headed towards the living room. It felt like I was walking in slow motion. On the kitchen entrance, I could see a large rectangular stainless steel table taking up a lot of the living room. I remember thinking this looks like a surgical table. Looked like it could rise and lift, and it had a recessed channel running all the way around the edge. In hindsight, I now know what that was. It was 100% a mortician's table. Dude had a mortician's table in there, but at the time I thought it looked like a medical table of some sort, and there was some other office type cabinets and stuff around, I think but now all I really remember is the table in that room. The large front window looking out onto the street was covered by vertical blinds that were closed. SG65 said something like, this used to be a doctor's office. Like I said, come on back here. The hallway revealed the room setup that I expected. The first bedroom door was closed. The second door was open to a small, very clean bathroom. At the end of the hall was the other bedroom, which looked like, if the doctor's office story was true, had at one time been converted to an exam room. He said, We can go into that room if you want. Go ahead, take a look. And he stayed by the other closed bedroom door. The back bedroom door was open, and I could see that the walls were covered in a honey-colored wood paneling, the type you might see in a dinner office that hasn't been updated since the early 1970s. I slowly took a few steps down to that door. Trying to be very aware of what Mr. Creepy was doing behind me. He didn't move. When I got up to that room, the first thing I noticed was the door had a key deadbolt lock, like the back door. This room locked from the outside. I wondered if there was a lever on the inside, but I pretty much knew the answer to that question without needing to check. I also saw a chair, a non swiveling plastic deck chair with thin metal legs sitting near the center of the room. The room had old dark carpet and those wood-paneled walls. I noticed that the walls were completely paneled with no windows, and I know that room had at least one window, probably two, so whoever did that paneling went over the windows. There was also a phone in there, plugged in and sitting on the floor. It was an old office phone, probably from around the 80s or early 90s dingy beige plastic with several buttons to manage different phone lines, just sitting on the carpet near the wall with a chair at a slight distance facing the phone. There was nothing else in that room. I was standing at the threshold of that room, with one foot slightly in, absolutely not going past the door. I looked back at Dude. He was still standing by that other door, just nervously smiling at me, trying hard to look casual but obviously very nervous or something. He said something like, "'Well, what do you want to do?' Instead of answering, I felt around the back side of the deadbolt lock. Sure enough, nothing there but the smooth wood of the door. It also dawned on me that I did not see a light switch anywhere for the ceiling lamp. Where was the switch? Who knows? Should have been just inside the door, of course.' That original switch was covered up by the paneling. He mumbled something about not having the key to that lock, don't worry about it. I turned back to face the guy and just said, what is it that you want to do here? My skin had gone ice cold as I realized that I was way, way, way too far into this apartment. I was running through my options in my head. What is this guy going to do? He doesn't appear to have any weapons or anything in reach, but who the fuck knows what goes on in this place? What are you trying to do?" He was almost totally derailed by that. He stammered out, some hot man-to-man fun, with the weakest smile I've ever seen, looking like he was just a hair's breadth away from panicking. That sounds comical, but really that sentence was probably the most chilling part of the entire experience for me. It was the way he said it, like he had to come up with something on the fly, something that would sound plausible and he failed. Who says that in real life? Hey, do you want to have some hot man-to-man fun? It's something you'd see on an advertisement for a cheesy porn site or something. Some hot man-to-man fun, smile, quivering lips. That was it. I said, no, I want to go. I'm leaving. He said, uh, okay. I quickly walked past him as he flattened himself against the wall to avoid me and I noped right out through the living room dissection area and through the kitchen to the back door, which was thankfully still not deadbolted. The keys were still on the counter. I let myself out of the door and didn't bother closing that as I saw him slowly coming to the door behind me. I deliberately walked, not ran, to my car. Looking back at the building, I could see that indeed there was a window facing the backyard area from that paneled room, but of course it was covered up from the inside dude was shutting and locking the back door, and I left, heart pounding, skin icy cold, thinking, holy fuck, what was that? So, was this guy some kind of killer? Or was he just an awkward closeted gay guy with access to a sterile-looking apartment with an autopsy mortuary table, and a windowless room that locks from the outside, with a chair and a phone and no light switch? It's clear to me that the poor soul who walks into that room gets locked in. He probably shuts off the light from somewhere and calls the phone. Other than that, it's anyone's guess what happens. I assume the friend of the judgmental person who emailed me must have been some kid that got locked in for whatever game ensues. Driving home, at first I thought, of course I have to call the police and tell them what's in that place. But thinking it through... I realized I didn't really have any crime to tell him about. I went to meet a man for casual sex, and what? He has, and I thought at the time, an exam table? The police aren't going to do anything with that story. The guy didn't touch me or do anything to me, and I left. I considered calling an anonymous tip line, but again, what exactly would I report? There was no actionable crime. Also, keep in mind at that time, while the local police in the city were pretty decent, they weren't especially interested in getting involved with helping the gays. They'd prosecute actual crimes if it was cut and dry. I'd heard plenty of accounts of them not choosing to follow up on a case when there was not an easy arrest to be made. I decided not to report anything because nothing would come of it, except drawing unwanted attention to myself. And even in retrospect, I think that was probably the most rational choice to make. And if this happened today in 2020, the law enforcement would probably be a lot more interested in it, but back then, not so much. So live and learn. I still drove past that house once in a while in the normal course of life for several years, and I'd pay attention to how it looked. The vertical blinds were closed for maybe five or six years whenever I passed. Then, eventually, the blinds were down and there were decorative curtains in the window, so I assumed the place eventually sold to someone who actually lived in it. So, around 2002, maybe 2003, there was a murder of a young man on the news. He'd been found in the next state, which borders on my city, so it's not very far away. I recognized the guy from the gay community, didn't know him personally. A friend mentioned to me something about the local serial killer. I said, what? He explained that a few young men had gone missing over the past year, each after being at one specific dive bar, and each being found several miles to the north past the state line and out in the country. The case on the news matched up with that MO. My friend told me the young guy had been at that bar and left with someone the night he disappeared. Now, The news report didn't mention anything about a gay bar or similar recent cases, of course, but I had to wonder if my acquaintance from the internet had anything to do with it. The location of the murders apparently was nowhere near that duplex, at least according to the story I was told. I never heard of a resolution to that murder on the news or any official mention of a suspected serial killer, other than some gossip. So, that happened
3: this episode of disturbed is made possible by fedex office it's a new year and that brings a new beginning if you're just starting or have been running your company for generations fedex office gives you the best way to print marketing materials posters signage graphics and so much more with fedex creating editing saving and ordering are fast and easy Disturbed is teaming up with FedEx and Podgo to bring our listeners 30% off your next order of $100 or more at Podgo.co/FedEx. Again, that's Podgo.co/FedEx for 30% off your next order.
4: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Filet-O-Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
2: And if you love the
3: filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6.
1: Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
4: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 3 a.m. The comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters, it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends, trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3 a.m., the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. <laughs>
2: Come play with us.
3: Now back to the show. And finally, Reddit user snoodonkeys5457 brings us the story of how she crossed paths with a murderer. Performing this experience is Nicole Goodnight.
2: This happened a long time ago. I'm guessing back in 2006 and... I can't have been older than four years old at the time, yet I vividly remember the fear I felt during this encounter. It was an early summer morning and the sun was up, but few people were out. In fact, the streets were practically dead that morning. My mom decided to take my sister, only one years old, seated in the stroller and I to throw away some garbage at the garbage station. I might add that the garbage station is kind of secluded from nearby houses, bordering on one of those deep, dark forests of Eastern Sweden. Since I was only four years old when this happened, the memories from the incident have faded a lot. However, my mom remembers all of it. She says that upon entering the garbage station, she immediately got an eerie feeling of being watched. I remember that feeling too. I felt creeped out, even though I didn't know why I was scared. I guess I could sense my mom's fear. Walking along that secluded garbage station, my mom suddenly stopped and told me this. Hold on to that stroller as hard as you can, and don't let go no matter what. That's my most vivid memory I have of this, and I don't think I'll ever forget those words. I'll at least never forget how they made me feel. It was as if my blood turned to ice. I just froze. My mom sounded stern, but even a toddler can sense when somebody's scared shitless. My mom was definitely afraid of something. The rest is just a blur. I, I don't remember much apart from the aforementioned, so... I'll let the rest of the story be told from the perspective of my mother. This is the recollection of her experience, recalled to the best of my abilities, but in my own words. Not far from where we were standing, a truck was parked with a man seated in the front. Nothing unusual. A lot of truck drivers stopped by the side of the road, but this man was staring. He wouldn't stop staring. He stared right at me, examining my body with the determined gaze of a predator. Gluing the three of us in his sight, he truly seemed pleased by the fear he'd instilled in our faces. And his eyes, they were something else, almost as if they didn't belong to a human but rather to a predator on the savanna. I felt like prey stuck in the claws of a lion. I just couldn't move. That's when he smiled at me. I remember that dead smile, those cold, calculating eyes, and the way he licked his lips, almost as if to say, I could kill you if I wanted to. I believe this was the point in time into this strange encounter when my mom told me to hold on to the stroller, to hold on tightly and not let go. My mom is a small woman, 160 centimeters, weighing only about 45 kilograms, which is about 5 feet, 100 pounds, and she could easily have been overpowered by the overweight man in the truck. My mom later admitted that she was afraid he'd jump out of the truck and knock her out, possibly assaulting her or even kidnapping me or my one-year-old sister. We bolted out of there. We didn't throw away much garbage that morning, we just turned around and walked home as fast as a mom can do with a stroller and a 4-year-old toddler by her side. We've never talked about what happened that day up until very recently. The incident has always lingered somewhere in the back of my mind as that weird thing that happened when I was a child, and every time I walked past that garbage station, I'd get a weird feeling in the pit of my stomach. As previously mentioned, this happened around 2006, Fast forward to 2008, the face of a 10-year-old little girl named Ingla was printed across the front paper of every newspaper in sight. She had been abducted, sexually assaulted, and murdered. And the perpetrator was an overweight truck driver named Anders Eklund, who is now known as one of Sweden's most infamous killers. Anders Ekland was charged with the murder of Ingla, alongside the rape and murder of a woman named Pernilla. He's also suspected of abducting another little girl who's still missing, making him a pedophile, a serial rapist, and a serial killer. My mom says that when she saw Eklund's picture in the paper, especially when she saw those cold, familiar eyes, she knew he was the creepy man from the garbage station that early morning all those years ago. Thinking how my mom or my sister or me or all of us could have been his victims, that sends chills up my spine. Anders, even though you're behind bars... Let's not ever meet again.
3: Before we go, let's take a quick listener voicemail off the horror hotline, 701-354-3667. Hi, I'm a weekly listener. I'm an electrician, and I uh, often find myself in old, dark, cold, abandoned buildings. And when I listen to your podcast, I... uh, and frequently engage in over-the-shoulder looks and uh, chills. Keep up the good work. Great content. Thanks. Thanks for the message, and I appreciate you listening. You can call or text the hotline anytime and let me know what's on your mind. 701-354-3667 And one last thing. I want to know who our superfans are. The listeners who never miss an episode and go that extra mile by sharing the podcast. If this sounds like you, shoot me an email at disturbedpod20 at gmail.com. That's disturbedpod20 at gmail.com. And let me know you're a super fan. I've got something special planned for you. Disturbed is a Disturbed Media original podcast. Musical score by White Bat Audio co.ag and kevin hartnell thanks for listening we'll be back next thursday with a brand new episode and stay safe out there y'all